For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as if in a cave. We invite you now to come with us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me, Mr. Mark Tuttle, and rejoining us in studio for the first time in a while, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell. Hey, hey, He's glad to be here. Back. Yeah, and yes. Practicing our social distancing. We're, you bet. We, we've got an estimated six feet between each one of us, and, uh, you know, so Tim, just don't lean this way, okay? Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> it's not the biggest studio in the world, but it works. So, <laughs> gentlemen, there's a phrase that's come into our vocabulary in the past three or four years that I find interesting and no one has yet been able to truly define it and it's called fake news is fake news the opposite of the truth and I guess that brings us around to the basic question what is the truth well, you know, that, that term fake news is, you know, obviously it gets thrown around quite a bit, right? And uh, you hear it in a uh, political sphere, I guess, most most prominently. And I, I think when I hear those two words put together, what comes to mind for me is, um, for, first, I think of when we think of news, I think what comes to mind to me is news is, a, is related to a kind of like reporting uh, and journalism of, uh, you know, the facts, you know, or at least an objective uh, telling of things that are that have happened or are going on, and so when you then um, when you put fake news in it, 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 it implies that there's a a kind of deception, a kind of window dressing. Something's presenting itself as if it's fact based, evidence based, um, comports with reality, but in fact is actually designed to. Uh, deceive or mislead on purpose. Right, right. And I don't know if it's a euphemism or not, because usually euphemisms are made to hide difficult truths. You know, you, you don't die, mm-hmm. you, you pass away. You know, that kind of thing. Because you don't want to face the reality of death. So you come up death with... Death with dignity is one of my right. old, old examples, <laughs> yeah, right? Which is killing grandma on right, purpose because exactly. she's old, frail, yeah. and suffering. Right. We, 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 we took Fido over to, to Aunt Millie's farm, you know. Oh, yeah, the farm there. Right. So, you know, oh, euphemisms, are, euphemisms are there, but usually to, to hide difficult and hard truths. And fake news isn't really a euphemism because I'm not sure it's really... It's not hiding anything. It's not hiding anything. Yeah, but no, I mean, more it, of an accusation. Or... Yeah, and and I'm, but I'm not sure there's much difference between fake news and a journalistic lie. You know, when you when you say something's fake news, what mm-hmm. what you're really saying is that's a lie, and that person is lying. So you know, or or there's there's dissimulation on there, or dishonesty. So fake news, I think, is just another word for a lie. Yeah, and and so maybe today, Mark, let's let's spend a little bit of time. Maybe let's talk about the the truth, the truth of things, um, and uh, a branch of philosophy called epistemology, right? Um, which which deals with uh, knowledge. How do we know what we know? Right. How do we know things? And and what ultimately what is truth? And and how do we determine what's truth? And what's the difference between just something I think is true versus what's really true? Oh yeah, yeah. There's a certain kind of uh, yeah. There's a certain kind of either certitude or. There's uh, that that has to do with uh, apprehension or misapprehension or mistakes, right? Which all has to do with is as you said, how do we know what we know? 
I think one of the more interesting ways to get at um, whether or not truth exists, because I think that's up for dispute in this uh, kind of postmodern, um, maybe even post-Christian setting, is that truth, objective truth, doesn't exist anyway. It's all, it's all uh, opinion and uh, one's one's personal perspective. But I, but I one way I one way I've heard um, it presented that uh, kind of gets to it kind of touches on an intuition that we all have is we all know what a lie is. So we, and and I would say um, most, if not all of us, at some point in our lives have lied. And so in order to lie, you you can't lie unless you know what the truth of things are and then you're you're contravening it on purpose right so, so you have so right there we all have we all have a a firsthand personal experience uh kind of getting at it you know from 180 degrees of the truth of things because we've lied when you lie you know what the truth is and you're saying something different on purpose right because if you don't know what the truth is and you still say something that's false you're just stating something that's objectively wrong, right? Yeah, which is what we call a mistake. Right, exactly. So if a I, mistake if I, is different than a lie, right? Yeah, if I if I looked out the window and didn't notice that that things were wet and that there was water all over the place and said, "No, it didn't rain." That's not a lie unless mm-hmm. unless I'm like trying to hide the fact that it rained and knew that it rained but then said so otherwise. So there there's a big mm-hmm. difference there based upon your knowledge of the truth. And, and the difference there, really, honestly, can be the difference between an innocent mistake and a sin. So, you know, there, there's actually a lot at stake when you're trying to figure out how do you know what you know. Right. I, I also calls to mind, too, if you, for, for anyone who's listening who's worked with uh, either their own children or children preparing them for— because we're, 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 we're at the beginning of the fall— um, school season, and that's usually the time that at the parish level we're preparing second graders typically to um, receive the sacrament of reconciliation, right, to make their first penance, their first confession. And an important part of that, obviously, is, is building within, is, is educating them, helping them learn and understand, again, what, what a sin is. And one of the, those differentiations is the difference between doing something wrong on purpose and doing something wrong on accident. And I think that's that's the same kind of lesson that pertains to truth and lie versus um, uh, saying something that you believe to be accurate and later finding out maybe it was it was false or inaccurate. Right. And, and going even one step further, when you've got these same second graders and they're there and they're preparing for their first communion, Reconciliation. Well, no, but but oh, okay, you're, you're preparing yeah. for okay. your first reconciliation so you can receive your first. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, usually in the spring, right? And and you're you're trying to teach them the Catholic doctrine of the true presence that that, that Christ really is present there in the accidents of the bread and wine. Um, there, once again, there there's a uh, there's an acknowledgement that there is an objective truth that there is a truth of things there in the Eucharist that goes beyond what you can see, touch, feel, etc. But it is truly, and you use the words, it is truly the mm-hmm. body and blood of Christ. So there's an acknowledgement even there that there's a there's an objective reality that um, that exists. Yeah, I, I, I don't, and I guess where we're going with this conversation is an acknowledgement of objective truth is at the heart and soul of Catholicism. I don't think you can be a good Catholic and deny the existence of objective truth. 
Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because God's the author of of creation. Um, Catholicism puts us in touch with reality with a capital R. So there is a reality that exists outside of myself. And this maybe goes, let's go back maybe for a second to uh, in time to say Aristotle, right, who lived about 300 BC. And one of the things that uh, Aristotle uh, taught is the reliability of our senses to give us data that we can apprehend about the world that exists outside ourselves. And so, of course, we think of the five senses. Um, We have sight, sound, hearing, smell, touch, taste. Wait, I listened listened one more (laughs) once because that's like six. Well, you know what I'm getting at, right? So, but of which, though, he points out, and he says that those give us reliable data about the world external to ourselves. And that the truth then is when our what's in my mind, what what I what I what I'm apprehending comports with or corresponds with the way things really are um, in the world. And when that's the case, then I'm in possession of the truth of things. Right. And and as I said, I think to be a good Christian, you have to recognize that there is a connection between what you are perceiving and what's actually out there. Now, how that connection's made, I think there's a wide berth of different mm-hmm. theories on that um, that are all compatible with Christianity, compatible with Catholicism, whether you're, you're, you're going with, with Aristotle or where you're, whether you're going with some other theory of how our senses are related to the outside world. The existence of an objective outside world and our ability to perceive that, I think, are kind of fundamental sets of beliefs. And we'll throw in another word there, beliefs. Those are fundamental sets of beliefs to be a Christian or a Catholic. Right. That brings up a really interesting point, which is that um, our beliefs—I'm going to make a distinction. Our beliefs um, ought not to be the same thing as our feelings about things. Um, believe, feelings are important because feelings can sort of fortify our beliefs. In other words, um, if one of my beliefs might be I believe in justice, and we'd have to define that. And so when I see an injustice, I can, I can see that as a violation of my beliefs. And I may also experience um, a kind of righteous anger at that injustice. So my emotions can actually fortify my beliefs and and uh, Aquinas, I think, if I as I read him, would say that's laudable because or that's helpful because that is going to perhaps motivate us to then do something about the injustice. Right, and I also think there's a a certain sharpening of the senses that goes on that can be connected to our emotions and feelings. So, um, you know, I th- I think when you are anxious about things you may have a heightened awareness of what, 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 what's going on. Or, or honestly, when you're happy, sometimes your, your senses are, are maybe a little dulled because you're, 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 you're paying more attention to what's going on inside you, and so you, you're, you're not paying as much attention. So there's a connection there, too, I think, between your feelings and your senses. But to take that step that you talked about to the be- beginning for your feelings to necessarily be equated with beliefs, beliefs and feelings are definitely different things. And, and, and so when we're, we're talking about what we believe, 
what we really mean when we say I believe something is I think that that is true. Now, whether you're justified in that and whether it's a, a true belief, it's a, you know, I think that it's true and it actually is true is different than just thinking that something's true. But all of those are definitely different than feelings. Yeah, I think we want to take up that. That's a, that's a great point. You brought in three terms. You put together kind of three terms that I think are, are, are worth um, unpacking a little bit, which is true justified beliefs. And I think as seekers of the quote-unquote truth of things, that's what we're after. I want to, ha- I want to possess true justified beliefs. And so uh, maybe we w- when we come back from the break, let's uh, pick up that conversation you're listening to The Catholic Cave here on Catholic Radio Indy. And we'll be right back after this. This is a one-minute announcement, so we're going to have to go fast. From September 1st through September 9th, we're going to have an online auction. You'll be able to bid as often as you want during that time at catholicradioindy.org. What kind of items will we have? Well, let's see if we can get them all in here. Water bottles. Handbags. A double-decker houseboat rental. Jewelry. Backpack. Wine to drink. Blankets. Hand-sewn baby quilt. Dinners with local priests. Baskets of goodies. Inner tubing down a river. A ride in an Indy car around the Indy track. There's golfing at Plum Creek. A night stay at the Hyatt Regency and Fishers. Hand-painted pictures and wall hangings. Knocker ball for four. What? what? Knocker ball for four. Inner tubing from Anderson to Broad Ripple. Rental of an off-road vehicle at Indy's Badlands. Johnson's Tasty Barbecue. Teeth whitening. Good books. Coffee mugs. A bourbon basket. Cruises on the largest boat in Indiana. Keep listening and visit catholicradioindy.org for more details. That's catholicradioindy.org. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Timothy O'Donnell with my co-cave man, <laughs> Mark Tuttle, and our trusty sidekick and fellow cave dweller, Kent Blanford. And uh, today's program, we're talking about a branch of philosophy called epistemology. And we've been talking a little bit about um, the truth of things. What do you mean by truth? And at the end of, uh, at, at, right before the break, uh, we brought up three terms um, and kind of strung them together as a goal uh, for us, maybe as the human person, I guess I, I'll, I'll at least put that out there, which is that we want to pr- possess, I want to possess true justified beliefs. Um, and so one way that we, so we need to probably talk about those terms. And one way that we were um, talking about how do we get data that's going to help um, give up that we need, that we can apprehend and then sort of categorize into these true justified beliefs. And one of them is Aristotle, and then Aquinas, I think, follows suit, is through sense data. So uh, our, through our five senses, the most powerful of which is the, uh, according to Aristotle, is the power of sight, because with sight, you can take in so much uh, data, even at a glance. Um, but that's not going to exhaust the category of, of what's true. Um, so true being from that sense that we have a correspondence between what's in my mind and the ex in the and what's going on in, in external reality. That's a kind of that's one kind of truth. But there's a second kind of truth we need to talk about as well. Right, because I can be out for a walk in a foggy kind of dreary, drizzly sort of morning, and see in the distance a furry four-legged creature. And Mm -hmm. I I look and I see this furry four-legged creature coming at me, walking towards me. And how big is it? Well, that's the thing. It's, it's, 
It's medium size. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not me- like the size of a tiger. It's not the size of a tiger, but it's medium size. Okay. And and at some point, I'm going to see this thing. I'm going to have to make a judgment about what it is. Is this mm-hmm. a dog, or is this a coyote? Because you know, my reaction to whether I proceed to walk up and try to pet it is is really going to be a lot different whether I think mm-hmm. it's a coyote or whether I think it's a dog. Right. So, um, and and that's where it, it, at some point in this journey, as I'm approaching this mm-hmm. animal, I got to form a belief. I've got to I've got to make a judgment and form a belief as to what kind of thing this is. Right. And so the process of how I I form a belief. And then how I go about verifying and and making sure that this belief is a true belief so that I can be correct and right and Mm -hmm. and have the truth about this animal. Yeah, that's another step. So you start off with a belief and then you have to somehow justify or verify your belief. But here's the deal. What I'm judging isn't whether it's got gray fur. What I'm judging isn't whether it's got four feet. What I'm judging isn't whether it's got two ears. What I'm judging is whether this is a coyote or a dog. So what I'm judging is a principle that goes beyond my sense data to where the judgment is actually about a universal. It's about Mm -hmm. a a category of thing that this thing is, whether it's a a dog or whether it's a coyote. And so... um, you know, to, to that extent, we we're, we're moving beyond just sense data and trying to determine the truth to the realm of universals. Right. And that, that's one of the things that I would say differentiates uh, human beings from the rest of uh, the rest of uh, created living creatures is that's our ability to abst- to think um, abstractly. So we're able by abstraction, we're sort our mind is leaving our intellect is leaving behind non-essential features and hanging on to and identifying the essential creature uh, the essential features or characteristics and it and it gets to and that universal so we want to know what's the nature of it right is the is it the nature is the creature you're looking at in this example does it have the nature of a of a coyote or does it have the nature of a dog now there's similarities that you point out between those two things. So you're going to leave there. There they both both creatures are going to have the four legs. They're going to have fur. They're going to have a couple of ears, a tail, a, a certain kind of snout, that kind of thing. But there are there are non-similar uh, characteristics that are going to make that differentiation. That's going to allow you once you have enough sense data, you, it's going to allow you to make um, an accurate judgment as to whether or not, uh, or what species it is. Right. And, and once you've made that judgment, once you've determined what kind of thing it is, then a whole lot of other facts about it fall into place. Then you know a lot more about the thing once you've decided what it is. Like then, whether or not it's domesticated because the coyote's going to respond a little differently to your outstretched hand presumably then say a domesticated stray dog right exactly although they both could bite but i i'll take my chances with the dog over the over the coyote, coyote especially, or wolf. especially if the coyote's walking towards you because usually yeah. they run away so if right, you've got right, a coyote right. that's walking yeah, towards you yeah. that's a really dangerous situation yeah you're looking for a little foam in the mouth right too. exactly there's probably something <laughs> so wrong with rabies. that coyote exactly right. but see all of that information 
falls into place once you determine that it's a coyote because mm-hmm. it's only based off of well, what you've learned, what you know about by coyotes from, from other sources that all of that will fall into place of, okay, this is a coyote, but it's acting strangely. It's not acting the way a real coyote would act right. or, or not a real coyote, but a normal coyote. It's not <laughs> acting the way a normal coyote right. would act. So there's added danger to this situation. Those are facts that you already have that fall into place around this coyote once you determine what kind of thing it is. Well, and I think I think what you're getting at is there's a couple of things there. One is we're talking about, you know, the, the ability of the intellect to abstract and, and place things in certain categories like species, like what species is this thing? But the other thing that you're talking about, I would say, and uh, here Mortimer Adler, I think, does a really nice job with it, is... Um, it, there's an, there's an ascension of truth. In other words, there's a, when we encounter new facts, data, evidence, arguments, reasoning, there's a comparison that goes on in our minds to things that have, that to other truths or beliefs that we are, have already established or have already considered. And we weigh them against things that we already know and then we can add and build or ascend in the amount of truth that we have, or we can say, no, this doesn't seem true to me, and we may dismiss it as being false, or at least categorize it as being false. And of course, there's there's a there's middle ground between tr- truth and falsity. There are things that you know say are ambiguous or. We we're not able to make a sound judgment just yet. Right, right. Because when we when we when we kind of figure out what kind of thing a thing is, we put it into the category of a concept. So now now we've taken this furry four legged creature and we've put it into mm-hmm. either the concept of a dog or a coyote. And then once we put it into that concept, we have lots of other truths that we kind of know. Or uh, other beliefs. Would. I would say would. other beliefs, other yeah. beliefs that we've acquired over time about this. That then we can. You're right. Then we can compare what we're actually seeing to what we have of the concept. You know. Okay. So my my understanding of coyotes is maybe that they're spotted. Right. So all coyotes are spotted. That's something I've I've known or or believed from from maybe things I've read or maybe seeing. Um, things on TV, mm-hmm. but this coyote definitely seems like a coyote, but this coyote isn't spotted. So now I, I've, I've taken that little fact about coyotes and compared it to what I'm perceiving. And now I can kind of remove that from the concept and everything that adheres to the concept of a coyote. Yeah. So there's an opportunity with epistemology to, um, again, gather sense data, apprehend it, categorize it, and then there's this ascent of truth. There's a comparison uh, as to other things that we already know um, or reliably know or things that we're, again, still trying to puzzle or figure out. The reason why I think this becomes important as we try to understand, again, how we know what we know is um, we're, we're built for, again, kind of going back to as I read Aquinas, we're built for truth, right? The intellect is built for possessing the truth. So we want to grow in knowledge, knowledge leading to understanding things, understanding leading ultimately to wisdom. And so this is what makes like public discourse um, in our current setting, Mark, I think very, very challenging because we're talking about an entire process that that the human person has to go through in terms of 
acquiring basic facts and knowledge about things like, say, as we've been talking about the example of a, a dog versus a coyote, there's basic facts that one has to be educated on and acquire and, and, and hold, hold firm to in terms of as, as different categories. There's new data that we come across, and then there's and then there's the process of sorting, weighing the new data into the existing knowledge um, of of truths that we already possess. And so it 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 can be very difficult and very challenging. And we're fallen imperfect creatures. With you know, we all have myself especially. I have a very limited intellect, right? So there's only so much I got. To, I got a little bit to work with here. So it's but it's also what you makes, know. it's also what makes life fun. And yeah. I and I, I I you know will throw out that the, the the ability to add more and more to your knowledge about a particular concept and, and continue to, to, to grow in what you know. That's something that we're naturally inclined toward. We want to know. Um, you know, Aristotle says, you know, by nature man wants to know. And so that that sort of acquiring of more and more facts about something that you already know is a really pleasurable process for us. I, I think all people have, I mean, even especially little kids, they love to know more and more. And the great thing about little kids is they don't quite have the discernment to recognize what are necessarily the important facts about something mm-hmm. and what are more like trivial facts about something. Oh, so right. they, they want to know, okay, you know, Okay, so how many toes does a coyote have? Well, yeah. you know, quite honestly, or what's his name? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so what you know, th- those are those are re- very very trivial facts when it comes to a coyote, but they want to know because they they want to know everything possible about a coyote. Now that leads to another question: Is it ever possible to know everything possible? In other words. When we're talking about knowledge and we're talking about moving a belief to a justified, to a, to, to a, a true belief. So mm. a, a, a true justified belief. A true justified belief. Yeah. Um, is that ever an exhaustive process? In other words, is there a switch? Is there a, okay, I know what a coyote is or I don't know what a coyote is. It's a binary. Or is it a more of a continuum? I know lots of things about what a coyote is that I will continue throughout my life as I study more and more about coyotes to add to this knowledge. So, you know, that's another kind of question about the nature of the truth of things. Can we ever exhaust our understandings of things? And I do know one thing for sure, and that's that we're up against a break, so we're going to take, oh, a, okay. take a step aside, <laughs> and we'll be back with more of The Catholic Cave, experiencing truth right after this. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. Alexa, what's the weather forecast for today? Alexa, What time is the Colts game today? Alexa, remind me to pick up the dry cleaning tomorrow. Has Alexa become a part of your daily routine? Then make sure that routine includes Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Quick, easy access to Catholic programming 24-7. Just say, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford with Mark Tuttle and with Timothy O'Donnell. And right now, Catholic Radio Indy's online auction is out there and available. It'll be bidding, will be available through September 9th. And so one of the items I want to point out, 
that's out there is two beautiful the Catholic Cave coffee mugs. Oh, those are awesome. And along with those mugs. Limited edition, by the way. Along with those mugs, you get to see the mugs oh. of these three uh, people. Uh, no, I'm not sure. Oh, I'm not sure I don't know if that's say, a yeah. selling point. Yeah, have We're in the got, cave for a reason. Exactly. But, I've got a face built for radio. Ah, yeah, it's oh, right. my line. Yeah. That's what my mom always but said what, to me. What we're talking about here is for this item, the, the bidder will win. And we're, you know, it's, it's listed in there as a, you know, getting together for coffee with the with the uh, cavemen. We're going to modify that just slightly to, you know, if you can't do a morning coffee with us, we'll meet you someplace for pizza and beer and talk philosophy. So, you know, coffee in the morning or the, the beverage of your choice and philosophy some evening, we can arrange that. So go out to catholicradioindy.org. Go to the uh, the bidding area, get registered, and uh, you know when that opens up, that's going to be one of the one of the premium bidding prices. And so uh, you know when that opens up, put in your bid, and you may be sitting down to you know either a cu- quick cup of coffee in the morning, or you know maybe some pizza and beer in the evening with the cavemen. Right, and just to segue back to our conversation, then you can say this: this cup of coffee, it, 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 it is you. You are justified in believing that it's a cup of coffee, but it might really mm. be a beer. So, right. or, or the beverage. <laughs> so, so you know your your belief around this this cup of coffee is is yeah. kind of it's changeable. You know, you you can you can form a lot of judgments about what that beverage is going to be. Yeah, we'd love to have a conversation with you about any topic. Uh, that comes to mind pertaining to you know, Catholic philosophy, right. the intellectual you could even, version. You could even play Stump the Tim. And, oh, and, my and, gosh. And see if you could throw, <laughs> a, throw out a question for Tim that he's not going to be able to answer. That probably won't last real long because I'm pretty easy to stump. Okay, but. <laughs> I've got the, the question for you. We've been talking about coyotes. How many time did, times did the coyote fall off the cliff carrying an anvil in the Roadrunner cartoons? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Hundreds, I would have got to imagine. <laughs> I love the old Roadrunner cartoons. We've been talking about truth. Gentlemen, how do we know what's true? Right. Well, and, and you know, we, we, we took the, we took the, I would say almost classical definition of truth is something that is true is a, a, a true justified belief. Like you've got knowledge, you know something when it's true, when you're justified and obviously it had to have been a belief before you're, you're, you're really thinking about it. But, um, that's and how you, you your your intellect comports with reality. In other right. words, what I'm what I possess in my mind matches uh, reality. Right. But but here's the question: Is how exhaustible is our knowledge about reality? How are we ever going to be able to say I have complete knowledge of you know even something fairly simple? You know, complete knowledge of of you know the styrofoam cup in front of me or 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 the table. Is our knowledge ever complete? Well, I'm I'm going to say no, um, because there's there's just too much to know with limited amount of uh, time and resources, and um, everyone has different kind of intellectual capabilities. Some people are, um, we all know someone who people are like incredibly smart, let's say, um, or have incredible photographic memories and all sorts of things, right? So, so there's certainly a, a, a broad array of, of intellectual capabilities, um, but also experiences, access to different things. So, but we can know a lot, and uh, we can, uh, we ought to. I would say we ought to be lifelong learners. 
I think one of the uh, the terms we, we've been using too that I want to bring up again is justified. Are we are we justified in our beliefs? And what by justified, what I what I think of there is that do I have do I possess sufficient or good arguments, evidence, and facts such that I can have confidence in my belief? And so, what so why that becomes important is. Um, I would say because knowledge is inexhaustible, there's there's a kind of intellectual humility that we always have to practice, in that we can be mistaken, and a, I would I would argue that an, a sign of intelligence is that when one's presented with better new facts, better arguments, new evidence, we ought to have the humility to. Uh, recognize and relinquish misunderstandings in whole or in part or mistakes that we have and move into um, a better um, a better understanding of, of the truth of things. Right. Because and that's very painful to do. Right. And I think, intellectually, I, yeah, and, and, and I think there's a, there, there's kind of a deep seated problem um, in modernity. I think that we see, we, we see the connection between, our senses and what we know and we we tend to limit our 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 definition of knowledge to that level of sensation that that empiricism that that empirical level but when we really think about what we know we're dealing with things at a conceptual level so when we talk about what we know about a coyote right all of that has to do with our concept our idea our our intellectual image to a certain extent of that coyote, although those are different things too when you start to break it down. But our concept of a coyote is really what we're, what we're discussing when we say and we're talking about the truth about a coyote. So I think because of that, I think we get caught up a little bit on what, our, what we, we, we can sense about the coyote versus all the things we know about the coyote. And here's the deal. What we believe about the coyote, that can be changeable. Um, we, you know, we can find out that what we believed about a coyote turned out to not be, uh, not pertain to coyotes at all. Um, you know, we thought coyotes were unfriendly and would snarl. Well, we learned differently. And so we found out that no, coyotes can actually be friendly. We thought that coyotes were intelligent. And then we see a coyote fall off a cliff with an anvil. And, and we, we learn that coyotes, no, they, they may not necessarily be, be intelligent. So, you know, we, we, our concept of a coyote is, That's a reference to the cartoon, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I've not seen too many in the wild carrying anvils around. No right? animals were injured in, in the production of this program. <laughs> right. But because our concept of the, the coyote has facts, and these facts are connected to reality, but because we, we've got various facts and things that, that either pertain to that concept or don't, um, you're right. We have to approach what we think we know with a little bit of, of, of humility and recognize that even what we may know may not necessarily be true or what we think we know may not necessarily be true. And then we have to be ready to jettison that from the, the concept of what we're discussing. Yeah, it may not be true. Or it could be we think we possess the, the wholeness, the truth, and it's it turns out to be incomplete. And I, I think here of uh, a fairly recent example is uh, the black swan, where swans were thought to always be uh, white. That's all that uh, anyone had ever observed until, you know, there was a remote part of per- perhaps somewhere on, uh, in the continent of Africa where they came across a black swan. 
And so that can be, so now one has to, uh, one has to then update the category of swan to include not just the color white, but also the color black. So there's a modification there um, that, that can happen. I, I don't, th- I think though, I mean, I wonder, I don't know how, how many or how much of say the big discoveries are left for us in the observable world here on planet earth because we've been able to explore much of the world and account for between satellites and and transportation and and vehicles and all sorts of things and and explorers that you know there i don't know there's lots of we once in a while you'll hear about hey we you know we just found this new sloth right in uh you know d- hidden in the deepest part of the of a jungle somewhere, but but generally we're not going to experience. I don't think again anything like um, the discovery of, a, of a, an entire new world um, like Columbus did. Right, and and even though those discoveries of new things aren't going to, they're just not on the same magnitude. They're not going to. They're not really. going to be a earth shattering, changing our, our concept of you know we made with we the made, exception of UFOs. Right, but you know, or 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 Bigfoot, but you know we're 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 gonna. We're, we're more likely going to discover another species of sloth that isn't really going right. to drastically well, change our understanding of sloths. Um, I don't know. The department, I think the Department of Defense just started a whole new the thing on UFOs. On right? UFOs, yeah, so yeah, something exactly. might be one on there. Right, exactly. I mean, that would be, that would be pretty big, and but, there's, but so, there's short only, of that. There's only a small fraction of the oceans that we've explored at this point. Right. So, you know, we've but got, I don't think there's civilizations down there. Um, there's more likely there's maybe yeah, haven't you of... ever heard of Atlantis right you know? <laughs> I suggest Aquaman it explains it all right, right. exactly yep. exactly yep. but no you're you're right the, the the process of discovery at least in the scientific realm now I think when you look at history and you start looking at at archaeology and the ancient past I do think that there are discoveries that that we find that do significantly alter our understandings of of the past um you know i was just reading and i guess it's up for discussion of how earth shattering this is but i was just reading about the the city of troy so um the location where troy is it's you are like, such a geek <laughs> <laughs> it's a layer of 10 cities deep let me <laughs> <laughs> it's layered 10 cities deep and they discovered an 11th layer to it which puts the date of you know when this whole area was inhabited back to something like 4500 4500 BC or, or 4500 BC um, so you know the the inhabited nature of Troy we just like doubled the, the the amount of time that there was a city there where Troy was that's actually pretty earth shattering when when you you start to think about you know the, the geopolitics of the Bronze Age um, so you know when when we study history I think there are probably m- more significant discoveries that, that that are yet to be made well and I suppose there are some scientific uh, breakthroughs that could push us into um, new realms of discovery. Like I was thinking here, what maybe comes to mind is like transhumanism, right? So the splice, you know, so sort of splicing genes together. There's a lot of mischief, I would say, going on in that realm by, with biotechnology, bioengineering, um, splicing, you know, genes together from human beings and other animals or uh, potential, you know, uh, uh, greatly 
elongating the lifespan of a human person. Um, lots of stuff are going on there. But I'll tell you what, what's interesting is the more collectively we know as human beings, the more there is to explore, I think, for the individual human being. Because, you know, we all kind of start from zero when we're born in one degree or another. So um, over the course of the span of our lifetimes, the amount of knowledge that's available for us to learn seems to, to continue to grow and expand. And with that, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back with the last segment of this week's Catholic Cave right after this. The list of items on our online auction continues to grow. Anytime between September 1st and September 9th, visit catholicradioindy.org to register and bid. It's easy and it's fun. Here's some of the items that you can bid on. Religious artwork from Angel's Corner. Four rounds of golf at Plum Creek Golf Club. An overnight stay at the new Hyatt Place Hotel in Fishers. A dental hygiene kit from Wolf Family Dentistry. Admissions for four to Connor Prairie. A snack pack from Johnson's Barbecue a necklace, and a $500 certificate from McGee's Fine Jewelers in Greenwood, a gift card from Puccini's Pizza, an hour lane rental at Pinhead's Bowling Alley, a gift basket of all made-in-Indiana items from A Taste of Indiana, an overnight stay and golf foursome at Belterra Casino Resort. You can bid as often as you like. Anytime between September 1st and September 9th, you can see all of the items and bid on them at catholicradioindy.org. You'll also be able to bid by phone. Have you ever thought about joining the Catholic Church? Have you just wanted to explore the Catholic faith? All you need to do is call your local Catholic Church for more information. We are always happy to help you in your journey to discover and learn more about the Catholic faith. We have classes that are almost year-round, and the classes and information sessions do not involve making a commitment, and there is no pressure to join. Please call your local Catholic parish for more information today and start the journey of one day possibly becoming Catholic as well. God bless. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Timothy O'Donnell and Kent Blanford, and we are talking about epistemology, which is the study of knowledge, the study of how do we know and we were talking about how, you know, knowledge is, uh, is continually expanding. On the other hand, you know, any groundbreaking discoveries are, are probably becoming less and less likely to sort of shake our, our general understanding of, of the world, etc. But I want to take a couple steps back here for this last segment, Tim, and ask the question, why? Why is it important to have an understanding of epistemology? Why is it important to know kind of how it is that we know things? Why is it important to acknowledge that there actually is a truth? Because I think a lot of people are even skeptical that you can have um, a, a true belief rather than just a belief. So you've got a belief about things. I got a belief about things. They're equal. Um, why is it important to discuss and talk about epistemology? I think there's two reasons. One is um, something we talked about a little bit earlier, which is that we're built for truth, the truth of things. Um, the truth at the end of the day um, as Catholics, um, and I think other uh, Christians hold to this too, is the, the end of the day, truth is not a um, clump of facts. It's a person. It's Christ. Jesus, our Lord, is the truth. And so we ultimately are um, built, designed our purpose is to be united with him in heaven for all eternity. So, so that's, that's, our, that's our ultimate purpose. And then, but I would say also secondarily, the, a denial of, of reality 
uh, denial of objective of an objective reality, and then truth being the correspondence of my mind to that reality, is that we can we would we become highly susceptible to a uh, skeptical mindset where we're where we doubt um, excessively. Uh, about things and that sort of excessive doubt, that radical skepticism is highly problematic in terms of um, uh, one's well-being, how one lives one's life. There's just a lot of implications to that. Right. And, and the emphasis there is on the radical and excessive nature of the doubt because doubt is actually it, it's an important part of learning. It's an important part of acquiring knowledge, being able to be skeptical and doubt. It, that's kind of what moves us further to investigate. That, that's what kind of leads us on to, to question and, and try to figure out things maybe in a different way or a better way or see things from a different light, etc. So skepticism is an, it, it really is an important part of the process of trying to learn, but it can become excessive and radical. Well, and also, yes. And it also, skepticism is a kind, I would say it's a kind of intellectual tool that you have to apply carefully. So there are revealed truths, for example, that we can have 100% confidence in, and therefore we don't really need to apply skepticism or doubt to it. So an example would be an example would be say um, dogmatic teaching from the Holy Catholic Church. Those dogmas are settled truths, and so one need not um, uh, put the time and effort to bring to bear skepticism against revealed dogma. Um, that's a that's a counterproductive and a waste of time because you're fighting against something that's already uh, shown to be. Uh, true. Right. And I would, I would even extend that into other realms where you're running up against expertise. Um, you know, there, there's a certain amount of, I mean, I, I think we, we, we can have a certain amount of questioning of anybody's expertise and what anybody says, but you don't want to be arguing about the truths of, you know, nuclear physics with an actual nuclear physicist. Well, I think and, it know, was Hume, David Hume, he had this kind of radical skepticism that he applied towards cause and effect. He he kind of denied the principle of cause and effect that that you know that if you have an effect, it was caused by something. And so his example would be well. And here's an example. And I would say this is an example of radical skepticism. Well, we don't know 100% that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. Well, I, I guess I guess you know ultimately maybe that's. That's a possibility that the sun, you know, that there's something that the sun's going to explode tomorrow. But there doesn't seem to be any good evidence for that. Correct. And so, um, so you know, so it would be very difficult. Imagine trying to live your life as if every single you're, you're in your 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 assessment of the world, making your way through the world each day, you're you've determined that it's a real possibility that tomorrow's never going to happen. Right. Um, that would really put, that would really um, make your life very, very difficult. Right. And, and then on the other hand, you can fall easily into the, the fault on the other side, because I think ultimately what we're talking about, we're talking about intellectual virtues when you, when you get down to it and, yes. and, and a virtue can have an excess or it can have a deficiency. So, Correct. you know, a, a deficiency of, I don't know what you would call this virtue, but a deficiency of, I think, 
inquiry, maybe, maybe that's the, mm-hmm. the, the virtue we're looking at, is gullibility. I think we know the vices better than we know the name of the virtue, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. But So radical skepticism on the one hand, but gullibility on the other hand, where you know when somebody tells you, well, you know, the moon's really made of Swiss cheese, you go, oh, really? It mm-hmm. is? And without investigating further and without looking for evidence to justify the belief that is, uh, that is there. Yeah, and so gullibility, um, right, is a is a kind of uh, you're right. It's a kind of deficiency, um, and then there's overconfidence too. There there can be again. I think you brought up something very helpful, which is that you mentioned that authority is appeals to authority um, are really kind of a, a very common way in which we um, grab, uh, look for, and grab justifications for our beliefs to be true. So you go to a, so what would be an example? Well, I think the Catechism of the Catholic Church is a, it's an authoritative book that's of the summary of the teachings of the Catholic Church. And so it's, uh, it's proven to be, to me, and, demonstra- and I think it's demonstrable, it's a, it's a proven reliable authority of the way things are. And so we can have confidence, I can have confidence in what it, it contains. Now, it, because it's a summary, it doesn't, doesn't capture everything. Um, but, but appeals to authority also can go off the mark because you might, um, an expertise, because um, depending on who the expert is, uh, who the authority is appealing to, could be faulty. They could have insufficient or incomplete knowledge, they could be suffering from misunderstanding mistakes themselves. Correct, correct. Yep. So, yeah, an appeal to authority, we always do tend to think of it as a fallacy, a logical fallacy. So when you're when you're taking logic classes in school, one of the, the the sort of informal fallacies that you learn is appeal to authority. You know, just just because just because an authority said it doesn't necessarily make it's true. That that's true to a certain extent, but I I honestly think we probably fall towards the deficiency of that these days of being skeptical even of authorities and questioning an authority, which is a, which is an intellectual vice, I think, um, kind of on the other side of the coin. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think, uh, I, I wouldn't say that like appeal to authority are necessarily a fallacy. It could be, but it's a weak, it's one of the weaker ways in which you can, um, uh, justify your beliefs as appeals to authority. Um, but I, I know like for myself, when I, when I, um, when I teach class, you know, it's one of the, um, when students write a paper, um, one of the things I examine closely is what, what sources are they drawing from and what sort of, uh, how credible are those sources? Because if they're writing a paper on say something like, um, abortion and, they need to, they're required to write on both sides of the issue. What are the best, what are the best arguments that people present to be pro-abortion? What are the best arguments people to be pro-life? If they choose, you know, um, to draw from a resource where it's some, uh, someone, you know, uh, some, a, a Bible thumping kind of kooky guy that's known to say weird things and happens to be pro-life. And then you quote him as if that's the best source and that's representative of the pro-life side of things or arguments, they've made a mistake on how they've appealed to authority because they didn't vet their source very well. Right. So as we move into talking about discussion and debate, what, 
it's important to get to the the purpose, I think, the why behind why we discuss things. And I think that's really to fill in the fill in the, the, the concepts that we have of things with facts, but then also to kind of check and, and, and test those facts in in the process of conversation. So it's the same reason that we examine something closely to see what else we can learn about it, what new we might be able to add to the concept, but then also what's false about the concept about this thing that we already have. And that's why we discuss in dialogue. And I think a lot of people have, have lost sight of that. Um, they, they've, they've transferred the idea of discussion and dialogue away from a exercise to increase our knowledge about a certain subject to or to sharpen our knowledge about it to a power game to an, an attempt for me to exert myself over you and prove that I am right and superior and therefore you should bow down to the <laughs> majesty of my superior intellect. <laughs> well, that's a certain kind of reading of Nietzsche, I would say, right there, because he talks about that the word you know it's a it's a will to power that uh, everyone just is simply stating a perspective and you can't, you can't, uh, there's no getting around that. Um, and so if, if it's just, you know, uh, if it's a contest of perspectives, then yeah, then what you're left with and, uh, which I think is wrong headed, but if the framework is simple as Nietzsche laid out, is just, it's simply a matter of competing perspectives, then yeah, then you're going to have to use power, uh, coercion in order to, um, win the day because, objective truth isn't going to win out because you don't think it exists. Right, right. I think the the underlying, and, and it may even be more of a, an agnostic belief about the uh, existence of truth. Okay, yeah. Uh, truth may exist, but it doesn't really matter. It's not important. No. Or it's too difficult to work through. I mean, that we see that all the time in like politics or morality. Like it's, it's just too, it's too much. It's going to be too much effort. It's going to take too much uh, working through, you know, unpleasant emotions, uh, my own or the other person's or other groups' emotions, um, and and I'm not convinced either anymore, Mark, that uh, enough of us have uh, kind of a, a primary first com- first order commitment to be seekers of the truth. You, right, you've got to have that commitment. If you don't have that commitment, then the rest of it does kind of d- dissolve or devolve into a contest of wills. Right. And I think in a society where discussion is more and more turning to that contest of wills, it, it becomes incumbent on us to honestly take the, the, the more humble stance of I'm going to use this discussion to inquire into the truth. I'm, I'm really not going to try to assert myself. I'm really not going to try to assert my will, but I'm really genuinely going to try to discuss to come to some better understanding of the truth. And with any luck, this discussion has led you to some new truths. And uh, one thing I'll toss out there, I'm just going to remind you that uh, Catholic Radio Indies online auction is still going on right now. Go out to catholicradioindy.org, register and bid. And, uh, you know, maybe with any luck, if uh, you're the high bidder, you might just be sitting down across the table from uh, Mr. Mark Tuttle, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, and myself, Kent Blanford. Until next time, God bless. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. 
Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.